Welcome in to episode 61 of the Five Star Preps podcast. I am your host, Jesse Smithy. Today's episode brought to you by Wes Whitehead of First Bank Mortgage. I've known Wes for a very long time. If you are in the market for a home loan, give him a call, 865-719-5841, or just simply go to weshomeloans.com, W-E-S, homeloans.com. Today's episode None other than Tony Lambert, longtime football coach up at Oneida and somebody that is known in the local coaching fraternity very, very well. I've, I've been doing this for a long time. I think we, we've established that. I don't think I've heard one person speak an ill word or even a mildly ill word about Tony Lambert. Anytime his name is brought up, from another coach, coordinator, assistant coach, player, whatever. It's always a kind word, a flattering word for Tony Lambert. Just somebody who does it right, faith-based man, just tons of respect for this guy. And I don't know why I didn't have him on the podcast sooner. He's a just a, a great storyteller, somebody who's passionate about how he lives, how he coaches, how he just raises kids and coaches kids and we got to showcase him and Oneida and that program earlier this year in the football season in 2020 with our game film documentary series that Sam Wayne Scott did so masterfully well in year one just could not have been more excited about how that went and I think our most popular episode was probably Oneida and that speaks to the community there and how much they not only rally around football and the football program, but all of its kids. It doesn't matter if it's basketball. It doesn't matter if it's baseball, track, whatever. They they support athletics and they support their own and they rally around their own. And that was a, a really emotional episode. And I'll, we'll get into that with Tony in this episode. So hope you stick around for that and, and, and really enjoy this conversation with Tony Lambert few housekeeping items items to get to excuse me uh did have the announcement of parker hughes the five-star preps offensive player of the year class 4a tennessee titans mr football announcing his commitment monday february 1st to middle tennessee state university and look i mean the blue raiders are getting an absolute steal here and i don't i try not to get involved too much in the recruiting realm in terms of trying to go to bat for guys or get guys scholarships. But the lack of teams offering Parker Hughes is a joke and was a joke. I, I think I might have reached out to 20 Division One programs, and I, it, the guy's going to go into college football with a massive chip on his shoulder, a massive chip, and that's dangerous, especially if he found, he finds out which teams did and did not offer him. I mean, he's going to go in and attack those teams. The guy's 6'2", 200 pounds, a wide receiver who put up just ridiculous numbers this year. As a defensive back, six interceptions. I've talked to some coaches. They like him as a receiver. Some think he could be a running back. Some think he could be an H-back. Some think he could be a linebacker, a safety. The fact that he's got five different choices of what he could be in college shows you his versatility. And I just... I can't say enough good things about the guy. That's why was, he was our Offensive Player of the Year. It was a no-brainer. He's Mr. Football. Led Elizabethan to two state championships 
in a row. They enter the 2021 season, uh, winners of 30 consecutive games. He will not be there. He will be at MTSU, and I just think that's an absolute steal. Now, that all being said about teams not offering, I know a lot of that has to deal with COVID, the situation that these teams are in, and I talked to some of those coaches, and they, they, they like this kid a lot, but they couldn't offer him because they didn't ha- have anything to offer him. Either guys are coming back for a fifth year or an extra year because of COVID, or they just at this point don't know what what their roster is going to look like. So maybe if he stuck around a little bit longer in the recruiting process, something bigger in name might come around. But you got to go sometimes where you're wanted. And I, and kudos to MTSU for locating this young man, for evaluating him, and offering him. And congratulations to Parker Hughes. We also got an announcement over the weekend that Bearden High School, the girls' basketball team, 17-1 and currently, one of the top teams in the state in Class AAA, are going to be going to Nashville February 6th to take on Innsworth, the two-time defending state champions in Division II AA that currently are on a 57-game win streak. So that's a massive, massive game that happened right before the postseason, I'm sure that's what Justin Underwood wants. Go on the road into a hostile environment, an unfamiliar environment, and take on one of the top teams in the country. Get them in that mindset that, hey, this is going to be difficult. It's going to be a tough challenge, not only for this game, but really for the rest of the of the home stretch here uh, going into the postseason. A lot of eyes on Bearden because of expectations of what they've done in the regular season this year. Uh, they have uh, just a, an unbelievable starting five and, and a little bit of depth to go with it. So we'll see how Bearden fares, whether they win, lose, compete well, or don't compete well. I think it's a, a big, big opportunity for Bearden to, to get themselves in the right mindset going into the postseason. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, also, this weekend, Division Two and Division One State Dual Wrestling Championships over in Middle Tennessee. Pigeon Forge is our lone representative over there. They're going for a three-peat in the state duels in Class A slash Double A. So uh, good luck to the Tigers. And also make sure you're hopping on to Five Star Preps on YouTube. we got a lot of fresh content up there. We've been putting out player uh, kind of highlight reels, team highlight reels, game highlight reels. we got some cool stuff on there from the Catholic IMG Academy game. Of course, IMG number three team in the country. Catholic took them on this past weekend at the Dr. Pepper Classic in Chattanooga. So you can get all the highlights from those games and just check out all the players and all the teams that we featured so far this year. we got a lot of great video guys uh, putting together pieces for us and sending me clips to put together. So make sure you're hopping on to Five Star Preps on YouTube. Subscribe, get our subscribers numbers up, and, and help us out there. All right, no further ado, let's get to our conversation this week with Oneida football coach Tony Lambert. Here's Tony. All right, Tony, welcome into the to the podcast. First off, are you a podcast guy? Do you listen to podcasts on your phone, or where are you at with that? Um, well, I don't go searching them. If I see something come across uh, uh, social media or something like that, a lot of times I'll get in on them. I'm not a I'm not a regular on those, but I see certain things. I know a coach is going to be speaking or something like that. Uh, I'm still needing to be educated in the podcast field, I guess, <laughs> but. Uh, I have listened to them and uh, and have got a lot of benefit out of them. Yeah, I mean, 
I was really big into ours when we first came about in 2018, and now it just seems like there's so many podcasts out there. Everybody's got one. Everybody can record something for their phone. And honestly, I had to take a break from the Five Star Preps podcast. I think my interview with Brian Nix back in late October was maybe the last one I did, and I just I had to take yeah, a break. I heard that, too, and it was it was outstanding, too. Uh, I know Brian coaching um, from small star games and stuff, and li- just to listen to Brian right there, it was I, I I did listen to that to be honest, and it was fantastic. Well, I felt like I could have gone on with him for another hour or two and still and still been you know fine with it. So, but I it just makes, it makes you feel like that. Yeah, it does. And uh, but like after that, you know, I just had to take a break. You know, we had the playoffs and just everything going on with COVID. So you're my you're my first episode back. You're my first episode of 2021, and I recorded a little intro before I brought you on and really kind of expressed regret on my part for not having you on the podcast sooner. You're somebody that's been known uh, around these parts for a really long time. And uh, as I mentioned in the intro, you you didn't hear it, but I mean, I've never heard anybody speaking ill will about you, whether on the record or off the record. And nowadays that's hard to do. And I just kind of want to know your thoughts on that. Just kind of how you've been received in the local coaching fraternity all these years. First of all, those guys don't live with me every day, so they don't see all my faults. Uh, if you was to ask my wife or kids or, or maybe one of my coaches, it might come down a little different. But, uh, no, to be honest with you, one thing I've always tried to do is is I've tried to respect every coach that I've ever dealt with. Um, you know, I I never tried to – I always say this, you're not going to win a popularity contest being doing the right thing and trying to be honest and, and even to this day, uh, I've had people that are very, very well-respected coaches. Matter of fact, um, yesterday I had a coach ask me uh, for some film on somebody, and I just don't give film out. I'm one of the few people with huddle and all that stuff. I said, look, I'll talk to you about anybody you play, anybody I play. Uh, but I've always felt like if you want film on me, Call me. I'll trade 10 games if you want to, but I'm not giving film out on somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wouldn't matter if it was Gary Rankin. It wouldn't matter if it was uh, Larry Kerr or George Quarles or whoever it was. I've tried to be consistent in that. Now, that's always, uh, you know, I don't get mad at people that do give out film on me because everybody we play, I'm sure, does. But when I say that, I say that to say this, is, you know, I've never been known as a good football coach. And I've never really been known as a good man. But one day I'll, I'll have to stand before my maker. And I'd much rather be known as a good foot, as a good man than a good football coach. Well, I think you down, you're downplaying your reputation a little bit, though. It's, when, I, when I got into covering high school football and started to, to learn a little bit about you, I mean, everything I always heard was like just your, your football knowledge and, and how well you coach defense. Where did that reputation come from? Well, it actually started, uh, you know, I started out as a middle school football coach. Did it for six years, helping uh, my best friend was Bill Hall. He was he got the own out of high school basketball job and the own out of middle school uh, football job. And so I was working in the coal industry with my father-in-law and, uh, in 1989. And then uh, we'd done that to uh, all the way for Oneida through those early 90 years and and in 95, Bill left and went to Scott High School as the head football coach. And, and I had started going back to school. Um, 
and and he ran the offense on our middle school program. I ran the defense, and, and uh, we was fortunate to during that stretch. On out of one to state in '92, and and uh, you know we felt we weren't on the high school staff, but we certainly tried to get players ready for them, and thought we did what Coach May had desired for us to do, and he certainly acknowledged that. And so in '95, when Bill left. Coach May asked me to move up and help him at the varsity level with them while I was finishing up school. And uh, I coached the outside linebackers for Jim May and coached receivers on offense. And then, and uh, so, you know, then I then I went and helped Bill the next year. Uh, I went to Scott High School and helped Bill uh, simply for the fact that I, I was actually getting paid. I was a non-faculty coach before there was really non-faculty coaches and Coach May had took me to my first clinic and and uh, took me to uh, uh, Nashville. They had a tackle would have a, a clinic in the summers down there at the Ramada Inn, and it's the first time I was able to meet Coach Rankin and some people. And Ronnie Carter was the director of the TWSAA then, and, and uh, he had Coach May had really introduced me to some folks, and I really appreciated it. And, and so, but then I was finishing up school and I started my student teaching. At Williamsburg, Kentucky, I went to the University of Cumberland and started my student teaching. And, uh, you know, here's a guy that's been coaching about six years. I've actually got some coaching experience, uh, but I didn't have a teaching degree. And then finally, I'm working on my degree and finishing in 96. I coached a secondary and the running backs at Scott High School for Bill Hall, who, again, who I'd been with before. And uh, so working for those two guys, Bill gave me a start, let me work. And Coach May just taught me so many things about detail and uh and discipline and those type of things and and in nineteen ninety seven I was in need of a job and uh and actually had started watching Larry Curran play in ninety six. I seen him beat Cleveland in the uh that broke the fifty four game winning streak and you know, I could go on and on about that, but you know, there wasn't a job to be had here in Oneida or Scott County. And I felt like if anybody could get a job, it was going to be Tony Lambert. You know, I'd given six years to Oneida. I'd worked at Scott High School. Uh, you know, led my team in scoring on the district championship football team Scott High's ever had. I felt like, you know, boy, I got the pieces. But God seen another 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 path for me. And, and I was frustrated at first. And, man, I just said, God, you just opened doors and closed them for me. Make a long story short, and, the spring of 1997, Larry Kerr calls me and tells me he's lost five coaches and asked me if I'm still interested in coming to work there. He'd sure like me to come. And I walked in, and he handed me a piece of paper in the spring, and he said, uh, I think they've been out two days. He said, this is what we're getting. This is what we've been doing on defense. We've been a 50 team, and we scrimmage Oak Ridge in two weeks. Uh, so <laughs> get ready. And so to be honest with you, uh, I got through straight to the fire. And Larry Kerr taught me so much about base defense in the 50 and, and just how you got to be fundamentally sound. And then I hooked up with a guy named Greg Dill, that was my secondary coach. And, and through him and a lot of other coaches that we had on staff at that time, we just continued to grow our defense. And, you know, just uh, you got to give a lot of credit to – to my time at Anderson County and what really developed my defensive mentality, Jason. So you you would attribute more of the evolution of your coaching style to to guys that you actually worked alongside and 
Like, you know, some, some coaches, whether it's offense, defense, or whatever, just really submerge themselves into the college game or the program, and they're always trying to, you know, reach out to college coaches and learn this or go to this campus and learn this. And But, I mean, do you feel like you just learned here locally? Well, it's a combination of both. Because during that time in 97, me obviously living in Oneida uh, the whole time and driving for eight years to Anderson County, every time UT was in a bowl game, I would go to bowl practice, and, and John Chavis was extremely good to me, allowing me to come. He and Dan Brooks and then obviously Coach Fulmer letting me come on campus and attend practice anytime. I've sat in a lot of defensive meetings, and Coach Chavis said, actually, where when we come clinic time, I could talk his lingo a little bit, and, and um, certainly he was a, a great mentor in, in that aspect. And then just other coaches that, you know, um, that you – spend time with you know don woods was at morristown west and and these people like that just just learning about basically about developing my culture and things but you know our defense really started in that anderson county days and and having to go against you know the oak ridges and the greenvilles and the fultons and the austin east and marivals and all those type of folks uh how i mean just so many good programs that we played against seeing so many so much diversity in different types of offenses uh that had explosive athletes. We 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 tried to develop our defensive mentality to, you know, they'll bend but don't break mentality, but I just wanted to be fundamentally sound. People would say you can't defend the whole field, but in a certain aspect we would try to. I always tried to put in practice, give our guys the worst case scenarios. And uh, I think that's one thing that's really helped. Obviously we we've, we've We've sought help on the Internet. We've sought help going to universities and visiting with people. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, we've got such great people in, in in our football community in East Tennessee just sharing thoughts with them and things. I think that's really uh, in a hodgepodge is kind of how our defensive philosophy has come about. Do you miss the days when you could go over to Tennessee and go in Coach Fulmer's office or Coach Chavis's office or go to those practices and – just kind of shoot the breeze with those guys? Absolutely. You know, I, I always say this, and I I think my calling has become helping coaches more than it, than it has been even actually coaching football. Uh, you know, I can go down a list of the people that have brought their people here to visit with us, but I'm saying all that to say this. Being able to go there is, you know, it's not about places. There's nothing that you ever do. It's about places. It's about the people. And when the people change, the places change. And uh, that's one thing I've always, when people would say, hey, what do you think about this job or this job or this job? I want to know the people. And the people is what makes it that place be what it is. And, um, you know, I always look at that. It don't matter if it's a church. It's not a church. That church is a building. It's the people in that church that uh, that make the difference. And uh, obviously, when we talk about that, I'm talking about doing it the right way. And, and uh, you know, you can't have a divided camp. You can't have those. But I certainly miss the days. And I hope Coach Heifel now and his new staff and with our new athletic director, Coach White and stuff, I, I certainly hope that um, – that, that policy will be open again to high school coaches in the state of Tennessee. What you guys do at Oneida is almost kind of a 
paying uh, homage to Tennessee with um, the uniforms and just some of the the pageantry that goes on at, at Oneida. Has it always been that way up there? Well, I think, you know, during my time, obviously it has because that's kind of been, a, you know, uh, a lot of people say orange and white, and, you know, you got to be real distinct about that. I think most people would rather you say it's Tennessee orange and white. You know, there's a lot of oranges out there. And, um, you know, they're very particular about their uniforms, and they're very particular about the culture here that they want built. And I think, uh, I think history itself says that, that that traditionally was not actually the school colors. And somewhere along the line, there was some mix-up of some uniforms or whatever, and they morphed kind of into that. I'm going to leave that for a, for a historian <laughs> or somebody else that would know more about that than me. But um, one of my good friends that coached so many years with me, Coach Robert Wright, he's he's one of the best at knowing about the history of Oneida and, and those kind of things. But, mm-hmm. yes, they're very, they play that stuff close to the vest. And, uh, you know, Oneida's a very proud place. It's an awesome place to play. If you, and you've been there on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. You know what kind of crowd base we have. And, and uh, you know, it's one of those places that they expect you to do it and do it right, but they expect you to win. When we decided to do game film up there, these these kind of new do- short documentary films, and we were talking about, like, places I wanted to go, and I said, we have to go to Oneida. And a comment you made just a few minutes ago about the people make the place, and I, I don't think I've ever experienced people-wise at Oneida uh, or experienced elsewhere, like what I've experienced at Oneida when I've been up there. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know if I can explain it. It just, it, it, it made me feel different. It made me feel embraced by the community and a, and a certain passion and, and love in the community all the way from the pregame through the end of the game and the postgame. And we went up there and at the time to do the game film and we didn't know, I think when we first decided to go up there under the, the circumstances of Isaac Morgan, but we still got to see that passion be translated through the film. And I just, man, it's just a special place and I just can't recommend it to, to people enough. And, um, I don't know, just you grow, you, you live living up there and coaching there. And how would you describe that, that place to, to somebody who's never been? Well, I'll say this, um, you know, Oneida's always been a special place. I didn't go to Oneida High School. I played at Scott County High School. I actually played at what would have been the old rivalry, you know. And uh, But I always knew Oneida tried to do things the right way, I felt like. And, uh, you know, being looking afar, and, of course, my parents both graduated from Oneida High School. And, uh, but, and listen, I love my school. I'm proud of Scott High School, proud to have been a Highlander. And uh, like I say, I played on the only district championship team that football team's ever had um, and been the head coach at and wanted to represent my school the, the very best that I could. And I hope they win every game. Uh, but I'll say this, looking afar, even as a kid, I knew Oneida would always try to do something that was, uh, they put a little extra touch on something. And <clears throat> when I had the opportunity to become the head coach at Oneida, um, I, I I wanted it was my first opportunity to be a head coach. I I, I wanted to kind of have my own stamp on something, and it was, you know, I saw a quote from Bear Bryant. He said, "If you do things with pride and have class and demonstrate character, and most people have read that, 
But so I said that was my thing, PCC, pride, class, character. That's how we were going to do business in every way. We were going to try to operate everything in our program. Everything that we tried to demonstrate was going to be operated with pride, class, and character. And uh, to go back to what you said, Jesse, about coming to Oneida, um, you know, I always believe this. You know, you always heard that, and it sounds kind of cliche that, you know, people said, hey, they won't remember what you did or, or any of those kind of things, what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And the thing that we want you to leave our place is if you're a visitor at our place or you come to our place, uh, you know, as far as, uh, the way we conduct business, we, we want you to, in your shoes, we want you to feel exactly, hopefully, the way that you just described that you left. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a team coming to play us, <laughs> we want we want that mentality that, hey, those guys treated us absolutely first class and they kicked our tail. And then they might have fed us in something on the way out or something. Uh, but I'll be honest with you. They're going to always remember how you made them feel. People don't, you know, feelings change, memories don't. You'll remember those things and uh so that's really the kind of the approach of what i would say Oneida has tried to do uh in my time there well i think that game film on youtube alone has over five thousand views i think on facebook it had over fifty thousand views it doesn't matter if we do a video or we put a kid up for player of the week or we go up there and take pictures of Oneida. it could be basketball football whatever that community just comes out in droves. I mean, why is that? It's passion. You know, I mean, this is to be honest. There's an identity. You know, I've had people ask us over the period of time, and I'm probably opening a can of worms here, and somebody said, hey, what if they made you change your name, your mascot? What if they'd done this? I said, look, this is what my recommendation would be. It needs to just say, oh, neither. And that's enough said. I mean, that's I, that's what I would say. Oneida, and that's enough said. We're Oneida. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that I've learned from these people is there is a way of doing it. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like change. A lot of people don't like change. Sometimes change is good. Uh, but for the most part, uh, you know, Oneida hangs close. They keep things pretty close to the vest uh, as far as uh, uh, certain traditions and things. But I'll be honest with you, uh, the biggest thing is that I've seen is if you need support, it don't matter what it is, if you need to raise money for this, if you need that from the administration right on down the line, this community is going to rally. I mean, they are going to rally. And, um, you know, again, I'll say it again, it's not necessarily about places. It's about people. Can you give us an update on on Isaac Morgan? Of course, he was in that wreck and part of the the film that we did we just happened to show up that week that all that happened and of course he was a big part of the game film and the emotional storyline of that and man I, I remember watching the rough cut of that video before we ever made it public and every time I watched it man I was just I, I'd end up with tears coming down my face by the end of the film just the the showing of love and support from you and the the community and the football team and just wondering kind of where he is with things now well I'll be honest with you God is good, and uh, I'll tell you, Isaac, with the help of crutches, he comes in there in the first period every morning into weightlifting when our guys come in, and uh, got the biggest smile on his face. I call him Coach Morgan, and 
he 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 actually would jump down there and get him a set of bench in every now and then. Mm-hmm. Isaac's got several surgeries ahead, uh, but I'm gonna tell you something: to see him upright, to see him crutch himself in there uh, with the use of his feet and his crutches, and I mean like somebody normally would, um, to see those legs, that those, you know, I still a line from my grandmother. She had an open heart surgery before she passed away two or three times, and actually had carotid artery surgery twice. And she said, "My body looks like a road map." Well, his lower extremities look like a road map. He's got a lot of scars and a lot of things. But uh, I tell Isaac all the time. I said, "I don't know what God's got in store for you. Whether you're going to be some kind of great coach, a preacher, or whatever's going to come out of this." But uh, uh, he just gets the biggest smile, Isaac. Isaac's attitude, there's no doubt in my mind, has as much to do with where he's at right now versus where he could have been. Mm-hmm. And it, to just to see where he's at at this juncture, I certainly would be one to say, man, I am very well pleased. I think his family would say the same thing. Of course, his brother Colby recently committed to, to Tennessee as a punter slash running back. I mean, he had some other offers to go to, to play on scholarship and then here he is committing as a preferred walk-on to, at Tennessee is has anything changed with that under this new staff or does he still get to go well I don't know as of today uh, uh mine and Colby's last conversation a few days ago were you know obviously Jay Graham was big in that and I talked to coach Graham a couple times and they were excited about the opportunity of what you could do with an athletic punter such as Colby and uh, I asked him point blank, Coach, will he be able to compete for this job, he said, from the day he walks in there. Hmm. And uh, obviously with the changing of the guard, who knows? Who knows what's going to take place? But I called Kobe the other day, and I just asked him, I said, have you thought about this? Have you heard from anybody? At that point, Kobe had said no, and, and I haven't talked to him in the last two or three days, so uh, something could change. But he did say that the special teams coordinator from Central Florida at that time, and I don't, he just said he started following him on Twitter. No, we didn't talk no names. We didn't talk no nothing. But, uh, um, you know, Kobe's certainly there, and there's some other schools, you know. Um, it's a lot of things can happen in the next couple of days. People are not going to get who they want. Uh, whoever gets Kobe's certainly going to get a special talent. Um, you know, and the biggest thing is, I mean, uh, you know, Kobe's kind of like one of them other guys that I've had. You know, don't tell him he's not the best because he don't know he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he plays with great swag and he's got a big time leg, you know, I really believe that. There's one thing that I've learned with, with guys like Colby and some other big time recruits from East Tennessee this year is that COVID has thrown a, a big time wrinkle in the recruiting process. And just, I think players that, that could have ended up at some really nice schools might've had to kind of maybe go down to their second tier of choices just because there's not an ample amount of opportunities out there. I don't know if it, if he experienced that or, or you've heard that, but it's been a really difficult year for guys in the class of 2021 who are trying to find college homes. And I, I think that's very correct, Jesse. I mean, I've talked to so many coaches and and coaching friends of mine in the in the fraternity, and, and everybody's saying the same thing. You know, recruiting's kind of changed for the what I would say for the worse uh, in this uh, pandemic. Number one. I still like looking the man in the eyes, not mm-hmm. through a computer. And I like, look, like, you know, I want to be able to talk to him. And um, to be honest with you, you know, kids not getting to go on these visits. I think that's the biggest thing, not getting to visit these campuses and, 
and seeing and doing uh, the things. It's it's certainly been a, a disservice to them. And then, you know, who knows what these schools are going to do, how all this plays out with, you know, who's going to who's going to continue their eligibility and who's going to. So I think scholarship numbers are, and limitations are going to be are going to be big now. You know. Um, the good thing is, is if your guys that are already in college, it may be the best thing ever happened to you, you know. But obviously, like you said, for the for the guys that are graduating this year, it's it's tough for them, and I'm certainly sure that there'll be several overlooked. It's really it's 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 not a good thing. I don't think. Yeah, I think we'll hear the that phrase transfer portal. I think we'll hear that maybe two times as much as we normally hear it, just because, like you said trying to figure out if a college is, is your home or not through a virtual visit or it, it's not the way to go. So these, some of these kids are going to get on campus and know within a day or two, if it's the right fit for them and they might jump ship them or then, or later on in the semester. But I think the transfer portal only going to get busier because of this COVID stuff. Absolutely. Man, we are 30 minutes into this talk and I hadn't got a son. Let me tell you yet from you. I don't you're you're leaving me hanging on that. <laughs> well, I think that was played. I think that's played up more by Austin Price <laughs> and Mark Packer than it is Steve Ace. But now, usually it's like this: we we when it comes to dealing with with players, now that that would probably be the difference. And when you look a kid in the face, just son, let me tell you something. <laughs> and uh, you know, it might just be something simple as this: the son, I thought you were better than that. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, those are the things. And I think, you know, the one thing that I would say, I hear people say this all the time, he's a player's coach, he's this. I don't know if I've ever heard that said about me because I'll be honest, I'm going uh, to steal a line from my mother that told my wife. I got married when I was 20, between 20 and 21 years old. And uh, she told my wife, she said, I, she said, Faith, I'll be honest with you. She said, I believe if you'll keep him till he's 30. She said, I swear I believe you'll make you a good husband. <laughs> and uh, obviously a rough nine years, my wife would have probably tell you that if she was on this interview. But I, I go back and I look now, and I think this, I think the biggest thing that I see about the kids that I have been able to coach, and I've done this 30 years now, most of the kids I'm not very popular with as a, during their time that they play. I'm certainly not very popular with them a year or two out because they're still trying to figure out who they are. But I really figured this out. I found this out. I, I do believe this is true. Just like my mother told my wife, a man really don't have a clue till he's about 30 year old. When you get 30 year old, you realize how, you know, just how wise that your parents have become, your pastors become, how wise that all those people that their teachers, whatever it might be, I think that's what happens in my case. I think most of them realize this man is not trying to tell me anything I want to hear. He's only trying to tell me the truth. And, you know, like I said before, I'm never go God's never going to care how many games I ever win. It's just going to be irrelevant. It's, it's irrelevant. But the way I handle these kids and the way I conduct myself around people, and listen, I've been very ugly at times, but I can promise you this. Um, I'm going to be held accountable for that. And, um, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. I think I think those kids realize when they're about 30 year old, hey, man, I, I, I get it. Because too many of them come back to me and show me their little boy or this or 
go to their wedding or something like that, and they they give they, they give you they give you that confirmation that hey, I know what you're saying now. So what were you like as a 25 year old that your mom would say something like that? Well, I just probably was about like a 25 year old. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I thought I knew everything, and, and uh, you know, I'll just be honest with you. I, I took things for granted. I took people for granted. I, my mom said I was a master manipulator as a kid. I knew how to play grandparents against grandparents, or or whatever, and certainly things I'm not not proud of. But you know, I really believe this. Um, my wife and I had to grow up in a hurry. We became parents early, and and uh, you know, then working and finding out working in the coal mines and things like that that you know having to work go to work every day to provide for your family and and uh you know trying to figure it out and finding out real quick that you know there was a better way of life for me and and i'll credit robert Wright. he told me one day uh, we were painting the field, and, and I was a volunteer coach, and he was the coach at Scott High School then. I think I just went down and helped him paint his field on Friday sometimes and and just learning everything I could about coaching. And He said, man, wouldn't you like to do this for a living? And uh, I began to go to school, working 40 and 50 hours a week in the coal industry and taking 10 credit hours, 10 to 12 credit hours a night. The next thing you knew, I'd be working three days and, have uh, 18 hours in two days, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday classes, or then trying to finish with 20, taking 21 hours and things like that. And, you know, just uh, a lot of that, that, I look back and I realize just now just how foolish I was at times and time that I'd wasted and things. And, and uh, you know, I think it's helped me be a coach because I've tried to treat these guys just like I would my own sons. And a lot of people don't like it. Now, I've coached three of my sons and been blessed to do that. Obviously, my daughter didn't play, but she was certainly I never missed a game. And, and uh, but she, you know, one thing I would say, Jesse, is this: is that uh, every team that I had, with my, I would ask the players, "Hey, I'll, you want me to treat you like I do my sons?" And they'd say, "Coach, please don't treat us like you do your sons." <laughs> and uh, I think. I appreciate my my boys for for at least being Zach and Jake and Ben for at least being tough enough to endure that and be able to take that and uh, take one for the team, so to speak. Your mom was in the game film movie, so to speak, for about ten seconds at the very very end, and I'm not so sure she didn't steal the whole show, man. She's a she's, well, she's a star. Um, well, she's been. She's she's certainly a star, and she really was. I grew up my family singing gospel music, and they used to sing on the gospel opera. She has sung with the Kingdom Hours at Dollywood, and Jay used to be Jay Basil Moe used to come to actually to my grandparents' house when at the Scott County Singing Convention. They'd have a big dinner there after and everything. And so she really is a star, and I say that facetiously, uh, and I say that kind of like I'm kidding, but it's really the truth. But you know, my mom has been a star in my eyes, and I'll be honest with you, because, you know, me and her kind of had to grow up together, so to speak, and and uh, I can give you the honest, cold, hard facts is my mom never sugar-coated anything for me. She'd say, son, I love you, but I don't like you. And I think that's helped me in my coaching. I tell players that all the time. I love you, big man, but I don't like you. 
And uh, so, you know, my mom's been my biggest fan. Um, her and my stepdad, they ain't no doubt about it. Um, and so I, I really do think that's all played a lot into my into my coaching. But she's, I mean, just, and, I, and again, I'm just judging her by that 10 second. I mean, she's got this kind of big personality. I mean, it didn't bother her to be on camera. Like I said, <laughs> you've been on the big stage. Is that been you, on the big stage? Is that where you got your music, is that where you got your musicality from? Because every now and then on social media there'll be a a clip of you playing drums at somebody's wedding and and things like that. Did, did you learn from her or where'd you pick that up? Well, I actually was self taught, but she bought me a set of drums when I was in the first grade. It actually became I got intrigued by the drums because when they go sing at these big events and in these big churches and stuff. Obviously, the family sung. There was nobody to keep me. I just went up on stage with them wherever it was at, whether it's on the gospel opera or whatever it was. I mean, you know, they sung in the rhyming. They sung in the new opera, uh, uh, Grand Ole Opry, and, and, and in all these places. Well, they just set me back there on the amps or something. with, uh, And when they set them mic stands back to go sing, I just kind of felt like them was my symbols, and I just would, I just kind of try to, simulate what the drummer was doing whoever the drummer was at that time and the next thing you know my mother bought me a set of actual real drums when i was in the first grade from lynn's guitar it used to be over on broadway and then become broadway sound and and it just kind of progressed from there until you know obviously i became their drummer and uh, uh then obviously you know when my grandparents passed away and and we all got older obviously they they didn't we didn't travel and sing anymore well, I think I told you this. Is like when we were kind of brainstorming what we wanted to do for this Oneida film. My thought was I wanted to open up with you, you know, going to sit down at your drums and starting to to beat out something, and then we kind of phase <laughs> we kind of phase it into the drum line of the Oneida band at a, at the home game and just and uh, but you said you didn't have those drums anymore. No, I don't actually. I loaned them to a church. Somebody borrowed them. That's one of the things me and my mom fell out about. The last thing my grandfather had bought me, and I, I mean it was probably a two thousand dollar set of drums in like nineteen eighty, and uh, I mean I had zildjian cymbals, hydraulic heads, dead ringers. I mean boom stands. I had the whole deal, and it was a seven piece set of Slingerland. Anybody out there knows that that they were nice chrome finish, and um, I let a church borrow them and. I don't even know where they're at now. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> what's when you get caught up on the stage at a wedding? What's your go-to? What's your go-to song? Ain't no doubt. Ask Brian Nick. He'll tell you. Give me three steps by Leonard Skinner. <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's my favorite band. Favorite band of all time. So you played. Well, that the, started with Bill Hall. Bill Hall. He was singing. And I'd play it. You know, <laughs> no matter where he's at. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was bad. <laughs> so you played at Nick's wedding. No, oh, okay. it's just the inside joke. Oh, okay. You mentioned that about Brian. That's what he calls me. Brian calls me Leonard when he sees me, so he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll you get a good kick out of that. Yeah, I got you. Uh, but, I mean, just kind of going back to just a, a lot of the things that you've said today in this podcast uh, about your faith, and I wonder how long that's been a part of your life in, in, in today's age where – Everybody's trying to push that out of the school or push that out of the locker room. I know it's a big part of who you are and what you do. Well, I mean, obviously, I was brought up uh, 
and talk the right way. You know, the Bible says train them up in the way when they're young, train them up as a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. You know, I'll be honest. It doesn't say in the middle they won't. Don't say it wasn't this. I mean, I've had some rough days in my life and done a lot of things I've not been proud of. But I'm thankful that the Lord saved me at an early age and, uh, you know, about 12 years old. And and, uh, and, and it's amazing how it, it's, it, it's – I, I lived in, out in Clarksville, Arkansas, in a, in a little town before that in Oklahoma, and then for about a two- or three-year span, we'd moved up there with my grandparents. And, you know, I always look back at things, and I just believe – Everything has a place and a purpose. And uh, there was an appointment out there, I should say. The Lord saved me in that venture out there in a revival one night where my grandparents and mom and them were singing. And, and uh, you know, obviously then I had some rough spots in my life. Obviously didn't live the way that I needed to. Made a lot of mistakes. And, and you know, but I'll be honest with you, about 35 years old, you know, and I'm talking about in that, I'm jumping all the way to 35. I was sitting in a church one night in a revival. And the Lord just, he just spoke to me. I felt it in the depths of my soul. He said, you're mine, but I want to be the Lord of your life. And at that point in time right there, I knew right then and there that, that uh, everybody wants a Savior. Nobody wants a Lord. He He desired to be my Lord. And, uh, and that changed the way that I tried to approach my whole daily walk and my you know I, i've never tried to be mean to people i've never tried to be now look people think i'm hateful but it's not i'm just passionate about anything i do but i think one thing i'd like to say you've heard me probably say this before jesse you can't fake passion and uh, at the end of the day whatever it might be if you truly are passionate about something you know you're going to be able to finish that and I think that's what my Lord and Savior done. His passion is what drove him to the cross. And he said it's finished. And uh, I'm thankful, you know, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. And I don't ever want to be ashamed of that. Um, you know, that's not popular with a lot of people. But I can tell you, um, when I get frustrated sometimes and think people want to run me off or they don't want to hear what my message is. They get tired of it, or they don't want to do this. My mom reminds me constantly. She said, honey, they didn't want Jesus neither. And uh, and I just have to keep, you know, I know in whom I have believed. I know that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful not only that the Lord saved me, it's that he keeps me saved. Because, listen, of my own merit, I'm in no good. My uh, my righteousness is as filthy rags. That's what the word tells me. And I don't even have to, I, I, all I have to do, you spend about five minutes with me, you'll figure out I'm just a very common man that makes mistakes just like everybody else does, probably more than most. Uh, but I had to have a great sinner because I was a great, I, I, a great savior because I was a great sinner. I'll be honest with you. And, uh, and I'm just thankful that I am. My faith is big to me. I mean, there's nothing else more important than faith, family, and football. I'm sitting here looking at a picture at my desk in the basement of my home right now. It says faith, family, and football. And uh, in that order, I think it's the whole deal, you know. I think that's the number one priority um, that we all should try to strive for. So you've given me some some pieces of your career timeline, and I, I wonder if you can take me back to 18-year-old Tony Lambert or however – However old you were when you graduated high school, you you got this faith, you got this 
mom who had a kind of a, a musical kind of star quality to her. You you played football and played it successfully, and then you've mentioned the the coal line or working in in the coal mines and just where were you coming out of high school? I mean, did you did you have maybe kind of a, a deep rooted aspiration to be a coach, or did you just think you're going to be working in the coal mines? Well, I certainly didn't think I was going to be working in the coal mines. I'd obviously grew up around heavy equipment and stuff like that, uh, you know, because my grandfather was a contractor. And he built a lot of things as I grew up. I mean, he was a he was a general contractor. He built schools, banks, things of that nature. And uh, and, and being around heavy equipment, I, I actually started my first bulldozer when I was five years old uh, with nobody around. And uh, Did you get in trouble? So I was pretty <laughs> – Oh, I, I, I was, let's don't even go there. Uh, but, uh, you know, and then grew up 15, 16 year old working for my uncle who took over my grandpa's business and, and my stepdad who was, uh, uh, he was in the lumber business and, and things of that nature at that point in time. And so I was around heavy equipment and, and, construction and but i wanted to go to school tried to go to school for two years i was going to be a baseball star you know and do all those things and and um actually went to school for about two months to etsu obviously i wasn't cut out to go to school at that point in time my priorities were all backwards and quickly i made a descent back to the house um before the grades come out and all that stuff, I knew I needed to get out of there. So I had to come back home and, and started doing things uh, to get a job and go to work. Actually, my mother actually drove me to that, if you want to know the truth. she I tried to lay around for about two weeks. It felt pretty good over at my grandma's house. <laughs> Been waited on hand and foot. She come over and woke me up one day. She said, you got two choices. You can either get a job or you can get out. And uh, I went to work for my grandma. I mean, uh went to work so I could live with my grandma and help pay her uh, bills some because my mom said, you're not going to be a mooch. You're not going to lay over here and mooch off my mom. And, and my grandfather had just passed away, and so I was getting all the sympathy from my grandmother mm-hmm. uh, in the world, you know. And, and uh, But anyway, so that kind of started the whole deal. And then, you know, go to work. Next thing you know, you're married, and, and you've got working in these coal business for your father-in-law and, you know, started coaching middle school football, like I said, up there, helping Bill Hall. Next thing you know, I really found out real quick at that point in time what my passion was. And, and um, you know, I knew I was going to be something. I, I knew I always wanted to coach because I always had them qualities. I coached a little soccer team, junior pro soccer team, when I was 16 years old. There were some guys like Kyle Keaton and some of them boys from up here that played for me. And obviously went undefeated, and I tell them all the time. You see, I was I was your first coach. Now their athleticism really didn't have anything to do with that, you know. Uh, but uh, I I found out when you got good players, you're a lot better coach. You know, <laughs> Absolutely, when you that's a fact. Absolutely. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that kind of started the whole process, you know, going. Uh, and I would come coach, but you know, I see some of these. Actually, some of the guys that I coach right now, their daddies were on this first couple teams that we coached in middle school. Mm-hmm. And they said, they'd tell them all the time, your yeah, dad said you'd come to practice with coal dust and work boots and everything. My face would just be completely black. Wow. And uh, out there coaching in blue jeans and doing whatever I could to, 
you know, try to get there as hard as I could. But my father-in-law and them were great. They were the number one coal producer in the state of Tennessee at that time, West Coal Corporation, and we had a contract with TVA, Georgia Power, and Kentucky Utilities. And uh, they were big boosters for UT and things like that. They were sports-oriented people. My father-in-law, the mayor here, Mayor Lay, you've met him before. He mm-hmm. was uh, certainly gracious about helping uh, allow me to work and go to school and modify that around. And ever since then, i got to say this, it didn't matter if I was at Anderson County, Scott County, uh, if I was at Oneida or wherever I might have been as a head coach, assistant, or whatever, there'd been very few games in them 30 years that that my father-in-law and mother-in-law and my wife have not been at. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, it's funny how things come full circle. When we attend those state championship games now, that's a certainly a, kind of a date weekend for me and my father-in-law. <laughs> uh, we go to those games and uh, – you know, I, I look back and I look through this whole deal, and, and that's how I actually got my job at the Anderson at Anderson Counties when they got beaten in the semifinals in 1996. Uh, I went straight up there to Coach Kerr. I seen a bunch of an entourage of folks up there of Anderson County, and they were watching Halls play, uh, and Halls had just beat them the week before in the semis, and. And the guy I was with, I said, come on, man. I see Anderson County's up there, and I'm needing a job, and I'm getting out of school. I'm going up there and get a job. And he said, you're fixing to make a fool out of us. Let's don't go up there. <laughs> well, four hours later, Coach Curtin can tell you, next thing I know, they're trying to get us to come over to Holiday Inn there at Vanderbilt and stay with them. <laughs> and uh, so it was just a match made, you know, and I can't say enough about Larry Kerr. Um, I hope he gets a chance to listen to this. Uh, just what a mentor he was to me. And, and listen, I can tell you, they some rough days over there with me and him. We'd go at it like a big brother and little brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it'd be some knockdown drag out some days. But he believed in me and made me believe in myself. Um, it was just fantastic. And I got to do a whole lot more than probably any assistant coach he's ever had because I had salesmen say so he's never let nobody do the purchasing. He's never let nobody... And so it made me feel really good. I think he felt like, I think he felt like it. Uh, um, and I'll say this: uh, I wouldn't say this, and I say this very humbly. He told Greg Deal, and Greg Deal told me this. He said he's he's the most loyal and best assistant coach I've ever had, and um, that meant a lot to me. I mean, it really did, and. And Larry and I still have a great relationship. We talk. He's in, he's healing from having the knee replacement. I've got a call and check on it. He was supposed to have it on the 26th. And uh, but anyway, yeah, man, that's kind of really where that's kind of really where my roots got dug in. And when I knew at that point in time right there that, um, you know. I didn't know if I ever wanted to be a head coach, but I think Coach Kerr helped me prepare for that even when I didn't. Now listen, he let me work, trust me. He let me work. He left me alone. And uh, I think I made his job a lot easier. He'd tell you that. And, uh, you know, I tried to put fires out for Coach before they ever got to him, and I think that's what I've tried to look at in my assistant coaches. You know, assistant coaches' job is to make sure the head coach don't get fired. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's I think that goes a long way, Jason. I don't remember 
I can't remember what his last year was at Anderson County, but I was just really starting to take over Prep Extra right around the time. 2008. Yeah, right around the, the yeah, yeah. right around the time of that transition. I, I guess I took over in 06, so I didn't get many years to, to get to know Coach Kerr, but, I mean, we're talking about, and I know he got back into it at, at Union County and did worked wonders up there, but from from his time in, in his heyday, I mean, I still hear stories of him all the time, and so I just get bits and pieces of him here and there, and, I mean, that guy's just a legend around here. Ain't no doubt about it. I guarantee you his teams were going to be able, they were going to play hard, they were going to be physical, and they were going to be tough. Yeah, I think you know. I'll be honest. It, it 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 helped me tremendously, you know. And then during that time, we we you know we beat a lot of good teams. We had some great football players and great football teams, and uh, you know, it just opened up so many avenues during that time. And and you kind of gain a little bit of you know, I don't want to say notoriety or respect from your peers during that time. And you know, there ain't many guys that can say you know that they, you know. Been to Oak Ridge and played. Been to Maryville. Been to Alcoa. Been to Greenville. You know, I mean, you go on and on and on in all those big places. And, and uh, you know, been able to win in most of those places at some point in time, you know. And, and um, just to be honest, you know, that time right there, I would say that was the biggest growth period for me, not only as a coach, uh, but as a man. Mm-hmm probably more than anything. And uh, well, Anderson County will always be a special place to me. Uh, they're a very, very, very outstanding program still to this day. And, and in that administration over there, I've got so many friends and in that community uh, that, you know, even when I went and was the head coach and left that short skill, still yet they became, you know, obviously they were aggravated. They were hurt at me. Uh, but they still never stopped loving me, and uh, you know I'm proud of I'm proud of uh, to be associated with that program. Well, Tony, man, you've been gracious with your time today, and um, just loved learning a little bit more about you. I didn't know all your your history, and, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because I, you know, I just learned this reputation and this this um, kind of coaching tag almost of just kind of what you built yourself on. But wanted to learn a little bit more about it, and, and certainly. Glad to have you on the podcast today, and thank you so much for sharing pieces of your life and, and kind of letting us know a little bit more about you today. Well, I think, like I said, you know, the, the one thing I think we've come to the journey right now is, you know, if you the people that have brought their coaches to own out to talk about football and talk about defense, you know, Sean Witten brought his whole staff here two years ago. Kane Ballard brought Eddie Spradlin here. Anthony Crabtree brought Bill Alexander here. I had had the fortune to go speak with Clark Duncan and his staff when he first took the South Dole job. And, uh, you know, one of my closest friends in this business has become Gary Rankin. And uh, we've never worked a day together. But the thing about it is, actually, he called me today. Uh, and... I've been last they called me this weekend and then today and I was with my wife both times and he we just kinda shared just common talk with each other, just the thoughts of, you know, spending time with your family and spending time with your wife and uh you know, he he certainly out kicked his coverage like most of us, <laughs> so I won't make sure I get that out there. Uh 
I hope he hears that. <laughs> Uh, he he'd been known to send me a few things and pictures of me and my wife, and he'd say, "Hey, that's a nice father's. I mean, a nice uh, father daughter dance picture or something like that, you know." Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> cutting on me a little bit, but really, I think it's about relationship, Jesse. I really do. I think to go back to what you said initially, um, I've met a lot of wonderful people in this game of football, um, and it really had nothing to do with the football. It's just the vehicle, and I think I think it's the best vehicle that the Lord has used for us to mold young boys into men. But it's also iron sharpens iron. That's what the Word says in Proverbs, iron sharp, sharpens iron. And that's what I really like about the coaching fraternity. Because at the end of the day, it's about doing it right. And it's about leaving a legacy. And it ain't about how many games you win. It's about those relationships. Did you make a difference? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves. I don't know if I have or I haven't. But I certainly hope I have. Well, I think I can say for a lot of people, I think you've made a difference. And uh, you've been doing it the right way for a long time. And, again, thank you so much for your time today and for coming on the podcast. And uh, tell everybody up at Oneida, Five Star Prep said hello. We'll do it, man. Come see us. I appreciate you. God bless you, Jesse. Appreciate you. Same to you, Tony. Appreciate it. That's Tony Lambert, head football coach at Oneida High School. And, again, just – salt-of-the-earth type of people and has always been a fan of what we do and welcoming to us whenever we need anything or we want access to a, a, a game or a locker room or whatever. Uh, just um, a great ambassador for high school sports and high school football in this state. And whether he wins a million games or not, you know he's got his priorities straight and where they need to be around his faith and around his family and around his community and uh, just luckily, lucky to you know have a good professional working relationship with Tony and call him a friend if I need to call him a friend and uh, just great, great guy. Hope you appreciated that conversation with Tony Lambert, head football coach at Oneida. And then again, if you haven't seen that game film documentary that we did, get onto YouTube, search Game Film Oneida, and just watch that eight or ten minute. A video that Sam Scott shot down there during, uh, I believe they were playing Cumberland Gap, maybe, and just uh, get your Kleenex ready and just sit back and and behold the the town of Oneida at its best. So that's going to do it for episode 61 of the Five Star Preps podcast. Looking forward to uh, bringing you episode 62 next week. So make sure you're subscribing and uh, staying with us on social media as well. And uh, that'll do it. We'll talk to you guys next time.